Well, Acts chapter 13, we're going to read just from verse 13, just through to 1 to, um, I think it's verse 14. We're not going to do the whole chapter. Let's hear the word of God uh, first of all, Acts chapter 13. Um, the title of the sermon, by the way, is Paul and Barnabas on Mission. That will be the title. But let's hear the word of God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Where, from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus the magician for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, and for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphius and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And we'll stop there for now. Now this is a, uh, a major turning point in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts provides a, a rich spiritual feast and it's rich food to learn from so far. Remember, we just go back just, we don't know the time period, but we go back to the beginning of the book uh, after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and then his ascension back to heaven. And there were 11 apostles, soon to become 12. And then Acts chapter 2, we have the day of Pentecost. And remarkably, 3,000 people were added to the church. Remember that. 
And the church devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to uh, the breaking of bread and prayer. And prayer seems to become a major theme for uh, the church in, in this book. And a key word you get a lot is, and the church were of one accord. That's something for us to pray for in this church and every church. And what happens is you, you hear about the word of God spreading. We often refer to the word of God as the Bible, but actually here it's referring to the gospel message, the, the message of salvation, which is spreading like ripples all over the place. How far did the gospel go before we get to Acts 13? Well, it spread all through Jerusalem. That doesn't mean everyone in Jerusalem was converted, but the testimony of the death and resurrection of Jesus was filling all of Jerusalem, and then it overspilled the banks. Where to? To Judea, the whole region around Jerusalem. And, and then we hear about the conversion of specific individuals. You remember some of those people well there was, there was the ethiopian eunuch and he ends up taking the gospel into the interior of africa we don't even know this man's name but we know he was converted the name of the next person we do know their name his he was one of the main persecutors of the church saul of tarsus and then we don't hear from him for a little while and now the Gentiles begin to come into the kingdom of God. That's a whole new season. But Acts 13 is really, in many ways, the beginning of this Gentile mission. And look how far the ripples have gone. As we look around this chapel this morning, the ripples have gone as far as Sheffield, and a lot further than Sheffield. God has continued to gather in his elect into the church of God. And so we've got three simple headings for us this morning. Uh, the first heading is the Holy Spirit. And actually the third person, the Trinity, becomes quite important in the whole book of Acts. The Holy Spirit's the first heading. The second heading is off to Cyprus. And this is not a holiday. This is a mission trip, off to Cyprus. And the third heading, well, I've called it to Antioch Pisidia. But really they've gone from one Antioch in Syria to a new Antioch, and it's not the same place. It's Antioch Pisidia, and apparently there were quite a lot of different Antiochs at that time, uh, named after a previous ruler. Um, so let's get to the Word of God, and let's see what we can glean this morning from this major event in the history of the church. The gospel was promised to go to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what's beginning to happen now in Acts 13. And as we begin the story in Acts 13, we come to our first heading, which is the Holy Spirit. And what do we learn? Well, 13 verse 1, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Well, this is something startling, first of all, 
that the Holy Spirit said to separate these two men for this mission. We don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke specifically, but we know the context. And the context is these five leaders from the church in Antioch, this primarily Gentile church in Antioch, became one of the most significant churches in the early church and continued for a long period of time, for, I don't know, two, three centuries more maybe. But we find at this time in the book of Acts, there were five leaders, and the first one is who? It's Barnabas. Barnabas. Who was Barnabas? Well, we first met him in early on in the book of Acts. He himself was from the, the island of Cyprus. And he was nicknamed by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he's the first one that's mentioned on the list. And I think in many ways, he was the, shall we say, the first among equals of this team of prophets and teachers in Antioch. So Barnabas is first. The second man is who? The second man is Simeon. This is not Simon Peter. It's Simeon who was called Niger. Well, who is he? Well, we got to be careful we don't go beyond scripture but niger means uh dark or black and many people have put forward which i think is very attractive that this man may well have been uh, an african christian we'll find out in heaven but he may well have been because the next man is lucius of cyrene and he himself is from north africa in modern day what we call Libya. So we see even the, the leadership team represents uh, quite a geographical spread here. Lucius of Cyrene. And then we have someone else interesting. We have Menaean. Menaean, clearly he's a Christian, he's a prophet and teacher, and he actually was a lifelong friend of Herod. I mean, what, what kind of a friend is that, Herod? And it's this particular Herod here is Herod the Tetrarch. So, in other words, Herod the Tetrarch was the same Herod who was ruling over uh, uh, the time of Galilee when Jesus exercised his ministry. And so this man clearly has friends in, in high places and had come to know the Lord. And the last one, last but by no means least, is who? It's this man Saul. And we read about his conversion in Acts chapter 9. Well, we've seen there in the Word of God, there's this team of five men, uh, interesting, they're, they're worshipping the Lord and fasting. And fasting. Perhaps a forgotten truth for us to recover. They're worshipping the Lord and fasting. And while they're doing that, the Holy Spirit, it says speaks we're not given information exactly how but we know by the inspiration of the word of god it was the holy spirit and says set apart for me barnabas and saul for the work to which i have called them well what a wonderful truth this is and we get a lot here for us and what what can we learn well one of the first things is is it's the holy spirit who is leading and then the church actually confirm what the Holy Spirit has said. 
Because then it says in verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. So the church absolutely has its part to play. The church doesn't always get it right. But here, the ordinary pattern is laid down for us that the church gives its confirmation uh, to the calling by the Holy Spirit. It says being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And what we see combined with this action is something that's very important. A man called Guy Prentice Waters has written a really good commentary on Acts. And he says this, despite the fact that the, the, these men are sent out by the Holy Spirit, the church gives its confirmation on that. Do we not notice here that both prayer and the work of the Spirit precede mission? Because we see, how do they respond? In verse 3, these men, it says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Then after fasting and praying. So they gave themselves. Again, we don't know how long they did that for, but they turned to the Lord in fasting and praying, first of all. And they laid their hands on them. What does that signal to us? It, it signals here specifically that the ordinary service of Barnabas and Saul had now become an extraordinary service of mission. And again, for both Barnabas and Saul, at this moment in time, they, they've not read the whole book of Acts. They don't know what's going to be involved. But uh, they have hands laid on for this extraordinary mission. So the first thing is the Holy Spirit. And, and I think perhaps it's fair to say that sometimes the Holy Spirit is neglected. Uh, sometimes people feel, well, if you, if you mention the Holy Spirit too much, we, people may think, well, we're, we're, we're off base. But the Holy Spirit is, is one of the persons of the Trinity, and he has a prominent place here in the book of Acts, we see the authority of God uh, exercised through the work of the person of the Holy Spirit. So now they're set apart for this task. And our second heading is off to Cyprus. What's going to happen next? Off to Cyprus. And uh, we read in the word of God there that when they arrived at Salamis, uh, which is on Cyprus, after they sail there, they begin their mission. I wonder what they're going to begin to do. I wonder if we read a biography of missions today, would it read the same thing as what we get here in the Word of God? It says, verse 5, when they arrived at Salamis, that's on Cyprus, they proclaimed the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. Now, it's obviously continuing what they've been doing in Antioch. They've been preaching They've been teaching the Word of God for a long period of time, and they're not now going to completely change what they've been focused on doing. They arrive uh, in this town on Cyprus, and you think, well, why Cyprus? Well, what a great place to start, because Barnabas was from Cyprus. He knows Cyprus. It's quite close to the coast as well, so they're not sailing to the other end of the Mediterranean. They're, they're starting fairly close to where they've been sent from, but do we not notice here that they begin doing what they continue to do through the whole book of Acts, 
proclaiming the word of God. Proclaiming the word of God. The word of God, this message of salvation. Imagine turning up in the synagogue and, and uh, as we see sometimes their motion to speak and, and they could say, we're here to bring good news to you, brothers and sisters. Oh, what good news is this? And they may not immediately go straight to Jesus. They may refer to the Old Testament prophets. But one thing for sure, they'll get to Jesus. And so they begin to spread the glories of Jesus Christ. Now, some Christians get a little bit hung up on this, that it says that they uh, went to the synagogues first. But what we find from Paul's method, that wherever there was a synagogue, he would go there first. And when he wrote in the book of Romans, it says that the gospel was for the Jew first and then for the Greek. And that was the apostolic method of Paul, which doesn't mean that's what we can only do today. Some Christians would assert, well, no, 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 we need, we need to be knocking on the door of a synagogue in Sheffield and really, really pressing home the claims of the gospel. And, uh, and it may not always be received that well by people. They may say, well, and we're not saying that we don't spread the gospel to Jews and non-Jews, but Paul and his method fulfilled this in those early days, giving them another chance, another chance to repent, another chance to come to Christ, the Savior. No one could say that they were neglected. So first of all, we see Barnabas and Saul in the Cypriot synagogues, plural. It's not just one. There's synagogues. It was quite a work that they've been involved in doing here. And then we find something else in Acts chapter 13 that's a great significance to us. In verse 9, what do we find in verse 9? But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. What we find is Paul changes his name here from Saul, which was his Hebrew name, to Paul, which was one of his other names. It was a Latin name, Paulus. It was his Roman name. I used to think for many years, maybe you were like me, I used to think, well, you know, he must have thought, well, Saul, Paul, it's quite close. We'll just, we'll just change the S and put a P there instead. But actually, that's not the case. It's well known that people who were brought up in, in uh, Roman cities, which Paul was in Tarsus, you'd have a, a, if you were part of the Jewish community, you'd have a number of different names. And Saul was his Jewish name. And Paul was, would have been his Latin name, his Roman name, because... He was a Roman citizen. Why does he change his name? Well, he changes his name so that, that his name Saul wouldn't be a stumbling block when he then will be taking the gospel to the Gentiles, which is the primary thrust of the mission. And it's important this. I remember talking to a young lady in, in Uganda and who was uh, being converted from a Muslim background. And I can't remember exactly what her name was, but uh, the church there were insisting that if she's to be baptized, she must uh, abandon the Muslim name and take on a, a Christian name. And she said, well, look, I, I profess Christ. I, 
I've become a Christian, but I don't want to change my name. That, that's the name that I was born with. And, and furthermore, I think it could be a real opportunity to explain to people the gospel. I don't know how the story ended up. I've no idea. But it doesn't mean that we must then, when we're converted, that we ourselves must take on a new Christian name and abandon our old one. But Paul is doing this as a, as a missionary, as an apostle, as one sent by God. And it's quite dramatic what actually happens in Cyprus because there's this man opposing them, this false prophet. Interestingly, his name is Bar-Jesus. Um, and he was, Paul was, and Barnabas were with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, who he describes in verse 7 was a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. What, what an opportunity. Imagine that not just spending time with somebody who's significant in their authority on this island, but they want to hear the word of God. Don't, wouldn't we wish for meetings like that? Somebody wanting to hear the word of God. But this man, Elimus, this magician, that's what his name means, in verse 8, he, he opposed them. He opposed Paul, Saul then Paul, and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul away. He was saying, Mr. Proconsul, don't listen to these men. And then we see Paul's apostolic authority in verse 9. This is just the beginning now of this mission. He looks intently at him. What does he say, Paul? And notice it, it's Paul that does this, not Barnabas. It seems to already beginning to become a uh, focus on Paul who becomes one of the most significant apostles in the history of the church. He says this, verse 9, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Look at verse 12. What a great verse. We're not so focused on this miraculous happening that we forget verse 12. What does verse 12 say? Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. What, what can we say from what we've just read so far? Uh, I think a modern word would be, wow. <laughs> wow. What is happening? Um, clearly, God has sent Paul and Barnabas on a mission. But already, they're facing significant opposition on the first island. And, and this mission's barely begun and clearly Paul is speaking as an apostle sent by God sent by the Holy Spirit I don't know how he would have known what to say except the Holy Spirit clearly would have given him those words you know there was a book a few years ago about uh, what was it called now about uh, uh, winning friends and influencing people you know this is not your common evangelistic method no it's not He's speaking as an apostle. And he says, 
to this man, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit. We, we, we don't assume that Barnabas is thinking, what are you saying, Paul? This is just going to ruin the audience altogether. We, we've no idea what Barnabas is thinking, but we can say that if it was you or I, we'd be thinking, Paul, what are you doing? What are you saying? Because uh, then he says this, that the hand of the Lord is upon you. And we like the phrase, the hand of the Lord is upon you, but here it says, Paul tells him, you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Full stop. What's going to happen next? We're on the edge of our chairs thinking, no doubt you could have cut the atmosphere in that room with a knife. The proconsul's looking, thinking, what's going to happen? Bar Jesus, he's probably wondering, what's going to happen? Paul has no doubt that God was faithful to the words that he put in Paul's mouth. Paul wasn't speaking here as a mere man. He says immediately, immediately. That's the kind of word we get in Mark's gospel when we think about the ministry of Jesus. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So the opposition was removed so that the proconsul could hear the word of God without this man stopping it. Because in verse 12, we don't know if there's any other fruit on Cyprus or not. We've no idea. We know that they've gone to synagogues and they preach there, but here's the first fruits in verse 12. That's all that Luke, who wrote this book, gives us. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It doesn't say he was astonished at what had happened to this man bar Jesus, but he says it was a, he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Because some Christians today would say, well, look, there you go. There you go, Kevin. If we want to see God working again, we need to see these kind of miracles again. Well, we don't have apostles today, so that's problem number one. But we have the apostle in heaven who is Jesus Christ, who continues to oversee all the operations of his church. But what we see is that Paul as an apostle spoke as an apostle and that this man, which we rejoice in, he, was, he believed and he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now that is what we clearly do want to pray for, isn't it? That people would receive this good news, the gospel, which we're called to preach ongoing, and they would be astonished at the Lord's teaching. So, off to Cyprus. But now... It's the end of the mission there. The mission seems to be accomplished. And, and, and our third heading now is, is off to Antioch, Pisidia. Off to Antioch, Pisidia. The first heading is the Holy Spirit. The second heading, off to Cyprus. Now off to Antioch, 
Pisidia. I did, we don't even know if they were intent on going there, but if you look on the map, in verse 13, now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. Now, if you see a map, you see Cyprus here, and then you find kind of north, north, west-ish in the area of what we call Turkey today, you find this port city at Perga in Pamphylia. But then they go inland, a fair ways, into the more what we call central Turkey. But actually, where they end up going to is a region which is familiar to all of us. What region is that? It's Galatia. Because we're familiar with the letter to the Galatians. And so what we find is that they go inland, and this is the beginning now of one of the first significant fruits and missions of Paul and Barnabas, is that they go to a city in Galatia. And we're going to find out, if God permits as we go on, that they go to other Galatian cities as well, not one city, but a number of cities. And the gospel just seems to just, just, just explode in each different place. But there's much opposition in each place and probably more opposition than they faced in Cyprus. And so we read of opposition and suffering that Paul faces because we remember Paul's calling that he would learn to suffer much. Remember that in Acts chapter 9. He's not suffered, we don't think, a huge amount yet, but the rest of the book of the Acts is going to record how much he will suffer. And he's going to suffer because of the name of Jesus. He's going to suffer because of the advances that happen for the gospel. So we see this town, this third heading, off to Antioch, Pisidia. And John Mark leaves him at this point. He goes back uh, to Jerusalem. And then they begin this new mission, Antioch, Pisidia, which we read in verse 14. And guess what they're going to do this was a quiz, you wouldn't need a lot of help on this one. They're going to carry on doing what they did in Cyprus. So where did they go first? They went to the synagogue. And what did they do? The same thing. They proclaim the word of God. They're not simply there to bring greetings and say, we know we're in Cyprus and we had a wonderful time there. They're there to preach the word of God. And so it says in verse 14, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Verse 15, after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Verse 16, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, and then he begins to speak. And so they go to the synagogue again, which is what they'd done before. But did you notice there? It says, after the reading from the law and the prophets. Because before this sermon this morning, we had a, we had a reading from the book of Joshua. And it's just good for a moment for us to rethink about 
what we do in church and why do we do it. Uh, maybe you've never had explained why we have readings from the Bible, from the Word of God in our services. Uh, do we do it because of tradition? That's what we've always done. Well, the answer is yes. But the tradition is based in, in the Word of God itself from the very beginning. Part of the worship of the people of God is the re public reading from the Word of God. And so what we see with, as the churches are established, they continue this practice of the public reading of the Word of God. We could probably go as far as to say that if the public reading of the Word of God is not included in our public worship, it's not really true biblical worship. But it's not only the reading we're to be hearing the Word of God. Why? Because this is the voice of God speaking. It's the voice of God speaking from the Word of God. No one can see God and live. But we can hear God's Word and live. Isn't that wonderful? We can hear God's Word and live. And aren't we not looking forward to heaven? When in heaven we'll no longer be walking by faith, but we will see God face to face. And we can hear God's voice directly in heaven. But that's not for now. That's for when we meet the Lord in heaven. That's for those who put their faith in Jesus. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you asked God to forgive you of your sins? And then to be forgiven of your sins and then you get a precious gift. It's only two words in English, but it's amazing. And it's these two words. Eternal life. Eternal life. To think that we're going to spend life in eternity with God and with one another. What good news this is. And these Jews in this synagogue, they, they've not heard the good news yet. So when, after the reading, they, they're asked and say, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. Paul and Barnabas are thinking, Word of encouragement? Boy, have we got a word of encouragement. We're going to bring good news. We're going to bring a gospel of eternal life that forgiveness of sins can be found through Jesus Christ. You've not had that preach yet, but you're going to have it now. Paul motions with his hand. We don't know exactly what kind of motion it was, but clearly is signaling he's got something really important to say to them. And then he says in verse 16, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And we're going to have to wait until the next sermon to find out what he says. But what we have recorded is the longest sermon recorded by Paul, I believe, in the book of Acts. This sermon that we're going to get to, not now, it's the longest sermon that we get from Paul in the book of Acts. And this is the beginning of the gospel coming to Galatia. And remember what the challenge was in Galatia, that after Paul left, 
the gospel was under attack. But what we've got here is Paul preaching the word of God. And that's why preaching is so important in every generation. The church cannot survive without the preaching of the word of God and the reading of the word of God. The preaching of sound doctrine is the, is the lifeblood of the church. Which I guess is the reason why you've found your way to this church in the first place over maybe a number of years. Because you're hungry for preaching. You've come to learn and know that nothing else truly satisfies. Nothing else truly meets the needs of the people of God other than preaching. So here's the beginning of the mission. And it goes on page after page after page after page. And lots of things happen. Imprisonments, shipwrecks, stonings, many, many things. But let's not forget the one thing, is that God's Holy Spirit is at work spreading his gospel to the ends of the earth. So as we conclude this morning, let's be reminded that the church is to be outward moving in prayer and action. Not only in our hearts, but in our action as well. That here we see the beginning of the blueprint of a missionary vision. And we need to capture that vision. Not everybody can go to the ends of the earth. One person wrote a song once, I heard this when I was a young Christian, that Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if you stop at home. I thought, well, hang on a minute. He must have stopped at home to have written that song. But it'd be ridiculous. Everybody can't go everywhere, otherwise we'd all be going in 50 different directions at the same time. But the church is to have a 